So when I was praying about what to do uh, tonight, and I was talking to Pastor Conley and others, he said, just do what you're doing in youth group. So that's what you're doing, right? Just do what you're doing in youth group. And so I'm thinking, that great, I'll do that. And so this morning in youth group, I mean, well, for the last few weeks, we've been working through the book of 1 Timothy, how to have a bold faith, how to stand up, stand on truth, and stand up for truth. And so as I looked in what was next coming up, I realized, oh, wait, we're done with 1 Timothy. Um, we, we, we did the last lesson in 1 Timothy this week. But oftentimes when I'm teaching a book like a smaller epistle, uh, I want to circle back to the first few verses and remind ourselves what we've been tracing, what we've been following um, throughout the book of Timothy. And really, the, the last few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6 is like a bookend to the first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1. And he, he repeats himself in a slightly different way. And so what I would have done next week with the teens, anyway, I told them this this morning, is we're going to go back to 1 Timothy. We're going to relook at the first seven verses and see, did Timothy, or did Paul, rather, sorry, did Paul uh, keep consistent throughout his letter? It, what he said he was going to say, what he said he was going to do, do you think he covered it all as we get to the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6? And we learned this morning that he absolutely did. That Paul is writing to Timothy, and there are some serious people problems in the church there in Ephesus. And Paul's encouraging Timothy to be bold in the faith, to stand up to these false teachers, and to have strength to stand up for what is right and the truth of God's word. Timothy's going to have to confront these leaders. And we talked how difficult this is going to be, right? It wasn't just standing up to pagans, if you will. It was standing up to people in the church who, who were teaching something that was wrong. They were teaching a lie. And so as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 tonight, uh, we're just going to look at three elements of the letter, three of the introductory elements of the letter that encourage Timothy to have this bold faith. We'll see the authority of the letter as coming from God. Because it's coming from God, it's going to give boldness to Timothy. The recipient of the letter being Timothy himself. But what we learn about the character of Timothy is that he was a trusted servant of God. And then in verse 3 through 7, the purpose of the letter. And while we talked about the purpose of the letter being standing up for truth and boldness against false teachers, it's to be done out of love. The ultimate motivation for this is love. To bring people back to the truth of the gospel. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertion. So verse 1 
shows us the authority of this letter. And this authority ultimately is from God himself. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now, how many of us like people telling us what to do? How many of us like people telling us how to do what we're supposed to do? We, we really don't, right? There's something internal about us that we want to do things our own way. Right, guys? We do. We like to do things our own way. Um, especially if it's from our parents. This is how you should do it. Um, it helps when the person telling us what to do is a person of superiority or someone that you know is skilled or talented in a certain thing. I think the illustration that I use of this, the first week we taught this, was if I want to become a better volleyball player, right? Um, I'm going to go to Kate Kukul. I'm not going to go to Zach. No offense, Zach. I love you, buddy. Right? Well, why, why would I do that? Well, besides the fact I've seen them both play volleyball, uh, ultimately it's because Kate just won a state championship. Right? And we've seen her play. She, she's proven. So if I want a tip on how to bump and set and spike and where to move, I'm going to go to someone who knows what they're talking about. Right? Um, if I want to improve on the violin... I might go to, oh, where, she's not down here. Oh, I see Jackson. Jackson's pointing to the sister. I might go to Kylie Cruz back there. And you're going to get to hear Kylie play because we love singing as a youth group. In a little bit, she's going to come up here and play for us um, as we sing together. But I'm going to go to someone who I know is good at it. And Paul essentially here in the opening letters telling Timothy, this is why you should listen to me. Look, you should listen to me because I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle simply means like the sent one, right? And who was he sent by? Christ himself. Paul wasn't appointed to ministry from his buddies, by his peers. Paul isn't telling him what to do because of all of his education and how smart he is and how good he is. No, no, Paul's saying you should listen to what I'm about to say because I've been sent out. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. But then it says by command of God our Savior. Now that word command actually is a term that has a royal directive. It's like a king setting a command for people. When, when a king issues an edict, you don't say no. When God issues an edict, you don't say no. And now remember the Apostle Paul when he was Saul. Remember his conversion. Like when you experience that, when you're struck blind on a road, and then a voice starts speaking to you, you don't say no to what the voice is saying, right? And so Paul's like, I've been commanded by God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, it's interesting he says God, our Savior, right? Because when we think Savior, we think Jesus. We don't think God the Father. But what Paul's doing here is really a Jewish understanding of God. If you think of an Old Testament understanding of God, who saved them from all their wars and battles. Who was their rescuer? It was God. And so Paul is giving this idea that God is this mighty deliverer. And then Jesus is the Messiah that brings hope to this life and to this world. So Timothy, this, this is why you should listen to what I'm about to say. Because I don't come on my own authority. I'm here because of the authority of God himself. So what does that mean for us? I think first it means that we can have confidence that the rest of this book is from God. 
It can be trusted. It can be believed. And not only should we believe it, but we should probably do everything that it says, exactly the way it says we should do it. So later on in Timothy, when he's talking about church leadership, we should set up our churches and have leadership the way that God commands it here and not try to work around it for the sake of our culture, right? And all the other parts of this book. Not to mention, when we think about God's word, we must have this confidence that it's true and that it's from God because it's going to order our life. It's going to show us exactly what to do and how to do it. If not, where are you turning to make decisions in life? If, if God's word isn't the perfect authority without error, without wrong, what or who is guiding your life? What's, determining, what's the determining factor for what you do and how you do it? It must be God's word as followers of Christ. But second, as, as we read what's coming up, we must remember that everything we do as believers is based on the, the truth of the gospel. We're motivated by this Messiah who brings hope. We're motivated that God rescued us and saved us. God is our righteous creator. Man is a sinner. And God in his kindness sent Christ the Savior to rescue us from our sins. This is the motivating factor for what we do. It's the gospel, right? But also, Paul's about to tell Timothy some very difficult things. And so, as Timothy hears them, he must place his confidence and his hope in God. We must be reminded that our ultimate hope is in Christ, not in things of this world. Difficulties will come. Trials will come that seem unbearable. But our hope is in Christ, and it is a hope that is secure in Christ, not in ourselves or anything that we do. So we can have a bold faith because we're walking in obedience to the authority of God himself, not in our own strength, our own power. But not only that, we see the recipient of this letter. We see that Timothy is a trusted servant. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, this seems like an interesting introduction, right? And this is usually in youth group. I would just ask the teens, do you guys remember why he called him a true child in the faith? Anyone remember? They were like, oh, I'm not saying it out loud. That's been seven weeks ago. Um, but he says, my true child. Now, this is interesting because later in the letter, Paul's going to say, let no one despise your youth, right? And yet here Paul is saying, you're my true child in the faith. How is Paul calling Timothy my true child in the faith, giving him boldness to carry out what's going to take place in this letter, to give him confidence in this? Well, what he's doing is he's reminding Timothy of where he's from. He's reminding Timothy of what he's already done, what he's already accomplished for the sake of the gospel. If we go back to Acts chapter 16, verse 1, we get a glimpse into the life of Timothy. Acts chapter 16 says this, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. 
for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Look, we learned some things about Timothy here. We learned that he was kind of from a split, divided home, right? His mom's a Jewish believer. Timothy would have probably been well-versed in Old Testament law and truth, but she was a follower of Jesus. She was a believing woman. And then we have that, that word but in there, seeming to set this contrast between a believing mom and a Greek dad, more than likely a pagan father. And so you can already see where Paul has brought Timothy under his spiritual wing, if you will. He's my true spiritual child in the faith. He was like a father to him. He led him and guided him. But Notice about Timothy, he says that he was well spoken of by his brothers. So other Christians spoke well of him. Like the church in, the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem recognized Timothy as a man of character. He had a good testimony. We also see that he's willing to do hard things for Jesus, right? He, he was circumcised. And then he leaves his home and travels with Paul. And then he's influential in strengthening and building up the church there in Jerusalem. So we're seeing from a young age, Timothy is a man of character. He can be trusted. Now, if we flip over to the book of Philippians in chapter 2, verse 19 through 24, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So this is Paul saying he's hoping to send Timothy so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. When, when Paul can't go himself, he's going to send the next best thing. He's going to send Timothy. He is a trusted servant of God. Look how Paul talks about Timothy. He is no one like him. Like no one served along Paul like Timothy. He's genuinely concerned for others. Timothy has proven himself to Paul. And what does that mean? He's reliable. He's consistent. He's faithful. He's honest. This is why he's like a son to Paul. And this is why Paul is sending him to Ephesus. Paul is trying to remind Timothy that, look, hey, this is, this is what you were born for. You, you turned to Christ. You followed Christ. You were with me. You've done hard things for Jesus all along the way. I've sent you to other places to do this. And now you're here in Ephesus and you're going to have a difficult task ahead of you. But you can do it, Timothy. It creates boldness in Timothy to, to, be, to hear that he is Paul's true child in the faith. What an honor to be that. So, using Timothy as our, as our example, could your closest friends and family members describe you the same way that Timothy is described here in Philippians and in Acts? Could you be described as a true follower of Christ. Are, are you well spoken of here at Hampton Park? By other Christians? By your neighbors? Are you willing to do hard things in the name of Christ? 
in your home, in your church, in your community? Are you willing to go for the name of Christ? Are you genuinely concerned for others? When we come here to church, when we come to youth group, our concern is for others and not ourselves. Are you reliable, completely able to be trusted? Oh, that someone like Paul could say about us, there is no one like them. That's how faithful Timothy was. He was a trusted servant, and Paul's going to use him. And Paul sent him and left him to be used there in Ephesus in that church. So Paul writes this letter with authority that comes from God. It's written to Timothy, who is clearly a trusted servant. And then finally, we get to the purpose of the letter. The purpose of the letter is love. Verses 3 through 7. As I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge, command certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So, so Paul and Timothy have, have split ways. And Paul goes on to Macedonia, leaves Timothy in this, this church here in Ephesus. And Paul's writing back to him to encourage him, but to tell him some things he's going to have to do. He says, you're going to have to charge, you have to command certain people to stop teaching lies. To stop devoting themselves or paying attention to myths and endless genealogies. Paul wants Timothy to keep people from teaching anything contrary to God's word. And he, he's more specific in verse 4 when he says, devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. See, the Bible is truth. It's not legends. It's not made up stories, right? It's based on eyewitness accounts of history, things that actually happened. It was written by God himself for our instruction under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so... What was happening here in the church is people are coming in and they're giving themselves over to myths, to made-up things, made-up stories. This has been happening since the garden, hasn't it? This is what's happening in our world today. Now, for us that grew up in church, we might say, well, that's, that's silly. I would never believe a lie like that. I would never follow after some made-up story or some myth. But then again... How do you think that all these other world religions came about? Like at some point, at some point, people stopped listening to the truth of God's word and they began making up their own stories, their own myths, their own legends, mixing in some truth with a lie. We have, this is just a few, right? Of holy books that go with their religion And what does Paul say that these myths and endless genealogies do? They promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. They 
They cause us to question truth. They cause us to question God. Is Christianity really the only religion? So everyone who doesn't follow Jesus is going to be separated from God forever? Everyone's wrong? I mean, this is the world that we live in today. Look at verse 6 through 7. What happens when we do this? Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And this is what we have going on in youth groups all over the country. They step out of their household. They're not confident in the truth of God's word. They're not convinced that scripture should have absolute authority in their hearts and their lives. They go off and they begin having conversations with people that believe in myths and made up stories. And then begin to speculate and question everything they've grown up in. They begin to swerve from the truth. To wander away from truth. Right? If, if you're not pursuing God's word now, if you're not fully convinced that this is truth and it should rule our life and every part of my life, every aspect of my life should be dominated by it and controlled by it, you will be tempted to, to slowly drift, to swerve away from it, to believe a lie. So Paul urges Timothy to command Command people. Do not let these people remain in your church. Right? Pay attention to any teaching, any belief, any thought that's contrary to the truth of Scripture. So, of course, Timothy's supposed to do this in verse 5. His aim is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is the most loving thing we can do for one another is make sure that our doctrine is right is according to Scripture, and that we're living lives by it. And so as a youth group, we want to always be encouraging each other. What, what, what did you do this week? Was that according to God's Word? Is that obedient to Christ? Why would you do that? We want to help each other, keep each other from sin, keep our focus on truth. And we can only do that as we are personally submitting ourselves to that truth. And living it out so that we're doing it with a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. So how do we apply this to our lives? What thinking, words, or actions reveal that you're swerving from the truth? Just, just not quite what Jesus has called me to do. Confess, align your life with the truth of Scripture. Repent, turn back. What or who has the most influence in your life? Is it your friends? Is it social media? Is it popularity? Is it your feelings and your emotions? Or is it God's word? The unchanging truth of God's word. Do you have a bold faith that's willing to stand up for truth because of your commitment to the word of God. So this is why Paul wrote to Timothy. 
He's saying, look, these aren't my words, Timothy. These are from God. You can have boldness in the face of difficulty because these words are from God himself. And, And Timothy, you can have boldness because this is what you've been training for and living out consistently in your life. You've done it alongside of me, and now you can do it. So I'm sending you out, Timothy. Go, be bold. Stand up for truth. And then we can have boldness because when we go to face the opposition, we do so out of a heart of love. I'm doing this to serve you and to love you, not to beat you down or cast you out. I want to align you with the truth of Scripture so that you can experience the joy of knowing and loving Christ. Let's pray. God, we we praise you for your word. God, we thank you and we praise you that you have been so clear to us. God, I pray that you would protect our hearts from a lie, that you would keep us aligned with your truth, and that we would, Lord, submit to it, walk according to it. Give us boldness as a body here at church. Help us to truly hate sin, to root it out. I pray that we'll protect one another from myths and endless genealogies that would would cause us to swerve from your truth. God, we need your spirit. We need one another to do this. We thank you and we praise you for your kindness to us.